Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the podcast today, Tracy Ranieri, who taught high school social studies for 16 years before becoming a high school assistant principal, and she's now been the principal of Harbor High School in Santa Cruz, California for the last five years. Tracy, welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You came highly recommended by a friend of mine named Mitch, who is a great guy, and he said that I just had to interview you because you were amazing. So here we are, excited to be here. And so you've been at Harbor High School for the last five years. Tell us a little bit about Harbor High School. So Harbor High School is in the city of Santa Cruz. We are a beachside community, as you may know about Santa Cruz, but we're pretty small high school. I'd say we have 1,100 students. We have a significant amount of our students who are under-resourced. That'd be over 50%. We have a pretty diverse student body, about 60% Latino students and 30% white students. And then we have a pretty consistent 10% other population. So it's a great place to work. We've got just a great variety of students here. Yeah, very good. One of the uh, things that you and I talked about in preparing for this conversation is the idea of a uh, role of an administrator needs to be shifted. What is your perspective on what that means right now? I think the role of administrator really is, I think in a lot of people will say this in books and talk about how important it is to be support, but it really, that means listening to teachers So I think the role of administrators really is to hear what teachers are struggling with, where teachers feel successful, what's working, and where they need where they need help. And especially right now, I know this is a special time of distance learning with COVID, but it's really coming out more than ever right now how important that is. Yeah, and and it really goes to the idea of having relationships with the people that we're working with, not just the teachers, but also the students and figuring out how to understand what people need based on the relationship that we have. Because not everybody's going to say, this is what's not going well. And some people will say everything's going great when it really isn't. And you really need to build those relationships. How do you build relationships so that people can tell you the honest truth? Yeah, that's such a great point. I just want to agree with what you just said wholeheartedly. I think just being in the position of administrator, you're a boss. 
And so it can be really hard for teachers to say to their boss, hey, I need help because it might make them might make them appear weak or as though they're not able to do the job when that's not the case at all. They, they really need some practical help. So we do some silly things and then we do some not so silly things. Some silly things we do to build relationships are you know, make sure that every teacher has a Harbor High School t-shirt, you know, that they can wear. And that's something that's just symbolic and unifies the staff as, you know, who we are. We love this place. We wear our shirts proudly. We show students that we care about it by doing that. So that's just, that's one silly thing. And then the bigger thing that we do is we take our time. We do a lot of talking. I think for some people coming in, it might seem like we do too much talking because why don't we just make a decision or why don't we just move on this idea already? But it takes a long time to get people feeling comfortable and to allow people the time to ask the questions that they have and for us to really think about all the possible scenarios for some initiative that that we might have before we act. I think it's just getting together. I hate to say it's meetings, but it's meetings that are strategic, that that are planned out by the minute and that have concrete outcomes. Yeah, that's not what most meetings are, by the way. (laughs) Having a plan for a meeting and having a specific outcome, I think is really admirable. And it makes it so that you are willing and and able to go to that meeting and support it. And that's not always the case. I think what you're really talking about is taking the time to connect with people. And often that is in meetings and you have a plan and you get focused, but it's also taking that time to recognize who the individuals are that you're working with, what their strengths are, what opportunities they have for growth and different things like that. Um, In your last five years as principal, you've certainly learned a lot. And I feel empathy for anyone who became a principal this year with COVID. That must have been a really challenging thing to go through and to be part of. But you've been able to figure out some things so that now this is a little bit easier because you've got some experience. So how? what are some of the things that you've learned over the last five years that have helped you approach this year being able to serve the best that you can? Well, going back to something you just said about the you know, knowing who people are, you really do that by getting into the classroom. That's one way. So you can see how people work, what they're thinking, how they plan. And then the other is seeing people during their prep or popping in during lunch and just chatting with folks. So those two things have helped a lot during this transition because I still go into classrooms. I still go into the Zooms and see how people are doing. And it's not just watching. It's talking to people about what they're doing. When I could visit a class in person, talking to a teacher later about how that went or what I saw that impressed me or naming a strategy that somebody used and why that was effective goes a long way. Similarly, now, since we have a culture of going into teachers' classrooms and having conversations about instruction, it's a lot easier to do now instead of it being so scary. Ah, someone's going to come in, an administrator's going to come into my my Zoom, and I don't, I don't feel as confident about this kind of teaching, and I'm going to get feedback, and that's scary. It feels normal in that way, that I can go in and, and watch a teacher working with students for 10 or 15 minutes, and then send an email afterwards about the strategies that I saw used and, and what was working. 
Yeah, and those things are not um, insignificant, but they are, they really do make a difference that you still have that comfort with going in and, and observing. And I think that's really good. I, I recently wrote a book called School X, and you talked about Student X. What is mm-hmm. Student X for you, and, and how do you design your school to meet the needs of that student? So, Student X is every student, a little bit of every student all combined. And we think about Student X when we talk about initiatives and when we talk about policies or practices as a school that, we, that we're thinking about, whether it's offering an after-school tutoring center or having practices a certain time of day. So Student X has every quality that we know all, you know, that people have, but certain students have more than others. Maybe Student X is an English language learner. Student X may be under-resourced. Student X may have a full-time job after school. Student X may have to babysit siblings after school or pick up their siblings from an elementary school. Student X may not have a parent who has a car. So thinking of just all of the variety of circumstances that our students live with, and are we making it so that any student, regardless of their circumstances, can access what it is we're offering? That, that piece is really important. How do we make sure that what we're doing works for anyone? So taking it a little bit deeper, when you try to f- do different programs or initiatives in your school, how does this play in? Because you can't, I, I don't think it's right to say because this one student can't participate, then we can't offer that to somebody else. So how do you manage that and decide when to not do something because student X can't do it? And when to do something, even though student X won't be able to participate. Using the after-school tutoring center is a good example. We're not going to not offer tutoring after school for students because some students can't make it. But it does mean that we have to think of a way to support students who can't come to the after-school tutoring center. So that might mean having tutors push into classrooms during this regular school day and have those tutors run small groups to support students. So looking at that, making sure that teachers, not making sure, I don't want to say that we're not making sure, but asking teachers about making sure that students know when they are available to help them during the school day. Is a teacher available at lunch for support, for example? So those are some of the ways that we do it. But when we're talking about how we treat people, that, that's a lot of what we do. And this distance learning was a good example of that. There was at the beginning you know, a desire to mandate that all students have their videos on during the Zoom sessions with teachers. And we talked about that. You know, is that the right thing to do? Is that good for students to have their cameras on? What does it mean if a student has their camera on or doesn't have their camera on? Does that mean if they have their camera on that they're engaged? And the answer is no. But what kind of pressure does that put on student X to have to put their camera on to show their house to the rest of the class or have the noisiness and the distraction and all that? So we decided as a staff that we would not mandate that students have their videos on during class sessions.
John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Yeah, that's really powerful. I, I think about those kinds of things with the videos on or off or whatever the case may be. And and I think so much of that comes down to us judging the kids when we don't really need to. And mm-hmm. I appreciate what your school has done where you said, that's not what we need to do. We don't need to have the videos on and we can just abstain from judging them about why their videos off. It doesn't matter. It's not important enough to us to that their videos are on for us to demand it. And so I think that's a really mature approach to that. Um, I want to talk. Sorry, just to, to follow up on that. If the question is, how are we engaging students on Zoom? That's a that's a great question to ask, and it's really important. What are the strategies we're using to see that all students are participating on this this video, this distance learning? Because having your camera on is a pretty easy way to pretend or to act as if everyone's engaged, but but unless you're hearing from students, unless you have voice, unless you're asking them to write in the chat, you really don't know. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And that's what I was getting towards was that idea of you, you have to have other ways of getting to, you have to have other ways of knowing that they're going to be engaging. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And obviously you're doing that. And I think that's great. Uh, one thing that I do want to go back to is this idea that, of creating flexibility that you were talking about with the after-school program as an example, that if some kids can't go to the after-school program, then you need to find some way to make that available to them throughout the day. And I think that flexibility and trying to find ways to make things work, even for those for whom it typically wouldn't work, is a really powerful way to show kids that we care. And so that flexibility, though, it does take a lot of work and it's difficult to to get that all done. So how do you take things off of the plate so that teachers have the flexibility to do all the kinds of things that they, that you want them to be able to do to meet the needs of all your kids? Mm-hmm. In the example of the tutoring, we offer teacher pay if they work after school. We Basically, we try to pay teachers for everything they do outside of the regular teaching day. So if they go to a workshop, we want to pay them for their time. We're going to pay for the workshop, obviously. If they're going to meet with students after their contracted hours, then we want to pay them for all of those hours that they're working. And we've been able to do that. When we can't, 
or when teachers just don't have the time to work with students after school, then we are lucky enough to have University of California, Santa Cruz nearby. So we hire students from the university to help with tutoring after school and we pay them. If we can't take something off someone's plate, at least we're trying to compensate people for the time that they're putting in. And then the other thing we do is we look at what teachers are being asked to do and we try to see what can we do to help. And it can be you know, something like instead of a teacher who's having technical issues, submit their own tech ticket to our you know, IT department, we submit the tech ticket for them. You know, they've reached out to us for help. So we try to just help directly as much as we can. And again, that's a little thing, Tracy, but that mm-hmm. is really powerful for someone when they think about the way to submit tickets to our, in one of my districts to our tech support mm-hmm. was so much effort and so much work. It mm-hmm. pretty much wasn't worth doing because yeah. it, you had to put in so much information and it took so long that most teachers, they just abandoned it and wouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. knowing, having been in the technology department, that was exactly how things got done. They the tech support waited for a ticket to show up and then they would act. They're not going around trying to find where there are things that are not working and they would wait for those tickets to show up. And that was a a little thing that I did as well that wasn't a big deal to me because I knew the system and knew that I didn't need to fill out all the fields, even though it looked like you did need to. And, And it was something where I would have never thought that anybody cared that I put in the tickets for them, but that just took a pressure off of them. And then the tech support just followed up with them directly. And it, it was one of those little tiny things that you don't think matters, but it really does. When people are stressed and frustrated, they don't need that additional thing to be bogging them down. And what that person needs is for you to just do the ticket form because it's not that big a deal. And that's a tiny thing, but it's so important. What other things do you do to be flexible with the teachers? Our mutual friend, Mitch, and his organized binder, We make all the copies for those four teachers and we just have them available. They don't have to ask. We have a system where one of our office staff stocks up each of the binder pages. And when those are getting low, then she makes an order for more copies and she fills it back up so that teachers don't have to worry about, oh, I need to go make copies of this paper or I need to ask the office, can you get a refill of this page? Those kinds of things we just try to have ready for folks. Same thing, we had some of our math teachers were really creative and they were adopting a new curriculum that took a lot of work. And so they did some modifications of some of the math pages, but it was taking them a really long time to make copies. So we started making the copies for them um, because it was just taking a lot of time for them. So anything that feels like just a small detail that we can take away, we try to take away streamlining ordering processes for supplies. All of that stuff, instead of having teachers have to order whiteboard markers, we just keep a stockpile of supplies in our copy room that teachers can just go and grab. And then when those supplies are low, we order more. So it just takes away that pressure. Oh, am I going to run out of post-its? Am I going to have the things I need? We just try to have the things that they need available so they can just get it. 
Yeah, that that's a really powerful statement. We just try to have the things they need available because that's a simple thing. And the same thing with paper, just having plenty of paper so that people don't have to worry about it. It's not that big a deal. And in the grand scheme, paper doesn't cost that much. Just make it there available for them. That's yeah. a really powerful way to support people. So the last question I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I think ask questions. Ask some teachers some questions. If you think something's going on or if you have an idea about something, ask a couple key people before you assume that there's a need that you need to fill. One thing I think that does really help at our school is we don't solve all the problems. People don't just see us as, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question and you're going to fix it for me. We collaborate on these things together. So we give people some time to think about solutions to problems they're having um, instead of being the people who have to thumbs up, thumbs down, yes, no, okay, do this, here's the answer. We really like to work on those things together as a team. And I just feel like it empowers everybody at the school and it, it creates this ownership over our students and what we're doing in our project and this pride in our school that if I were the one to just be the yes person or the no person, it just wouldn't have that same feel. Yeah, absolutely. Tracy, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. And this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle.